I have learned that to be with those I like is enough. Walt Whitman. Bending Not Breaking, Season 4, Episode 11, Skeletons in the Closet. And we're back with another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And this has been. And what a, what a season it's been. We're, we're getting we're to the end. Episode 11, yeah, y'all. We're, we're out of 12. There. We're almost there. This is not, they do not have these 20 episode arcs going on. Yeah, but they're so packed. But we are about to build cool a stuff. whole new universe, a so they say. A whole new universe. That's fun. Yeah. Oh, your Avatar Studios. Yes. Yeah. That's super been announced cool. As we are recording, because we record earlier than the episodes come out. True. Because we're planners. True, true, true. Sometimes. Sometimes. Debatable. Anyways, today today is also special. We have another special guest. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the pod. However, this friend of the pod you might recognize as someone who's been with us before, right? So, friends, family. Well, I said friend of the pod, Ben. Yeah, but like you can be a friend of the pod and not have been on the podcast before. That's fair. All right. Anyway, we have Cameron back joining us. And we're so excited you're here. Hello. After that long... (laughs) long like attempt to bring you in yeah i know i thought i thought honestly you were setting me up to say i'm cricket lee again yeah the, i was thinking the about guest it. we've had before <laughs> i was like ooh, should i try this intro again i won't it's, i think it's better for everyone that i don't and i believe the last time you were here was season three episode six which would be the avatar, the avatar and the fire, and the fire lord. lord yeah yeah which was a great episode so go back to that if you have not listened to that because yeah, that's a, that's that. a whole lot of fun we have fun here this is a podcast for fun. Do we have and fun? for learning. I have fun. You can sometimes be a little bit of a crumb yum. Just because you're a party pooper and I try to keep things on track doesn't mean that I'm not having fun. I believe that means you're stopping me, Max, typically from having the fun, but Speaking of Max, Max he's, is here. He's here. No microphone because, you know, Took we decided to him. take that away from he's, him. I'm as borrowing punishment. it. <laughs> Sorry. You're the Ursula to my Ariel. Yep. <laughs> Stolen your voice today. It's in my seashell. She is terrifying. Uh, One fun the... fact, that's Sunshine's ter- most ter- terrifying villain. When other kids re- like turned off the lights and hopped into their beds and like put the covers over their head to get away from the boogeyman that was under their bed, I was always convinced that it was actually Ursula under the bed. <laughs> and that she had very bad aim because she had so many tentacles to get me and never got me because I was very sneaky. Great singing voice, though. No, she stole it. She always she stole it from no, other people. No, Pat Carroll's voice. Oh, she was wonderful, but she's not Ursula. <laughs> Pat Carroll, yeah. I mean, she is, she is the actress of Ursula, but she's not the Ursula that was under my I bed. No, 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 no. The <laughs> Ursula <laughs> under your bed probably That's did a very not, different Ursula. Probably did not have a good singing voice. But shouts to Morgana. She really had to follow up. Oh my gosh. Ursula. You don't remember Ursula's sis- little sister? Yeah, the same voice I... actress did in the, in the the sequel with oh, with Ariel's I didn't daughter. Know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Melody. I've seen that like once. They so. literally introduce her and they're like, "It's it's not... Ursula's crazy sister." Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, her mom apparently loved Ursula more. Was what we learned out in that yeah, movie, but yeah. it's a it's it's actually kind of watchable. It is as far as Disney sequels go. It's, is it it's on Disney right. Plus right now? I'm sure it is. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're not. We're talking about Korra. We're talking about the legend of Korra. Skeletons in the closet. Which is, uh, we learn a whole lot about people's past. Yeah, about family. That, yes, which is interesting because that's the lens, Ben. Yeah, it is. Cameron, Ooh. you chose this lens. Yeah, you I did. 
That's right. Yeah. <laughs> tell us. Tell us why. What, what, what was uh, behind that? Decision? I. I mean, I think it's obvious when you get into the plot of the episode that family is a big factor in uh, revelations that occur this week on Korra. Um, but as I was watching it with, uh, I, I saw that this really kind of encompasses both aspects of family, like your chosen family that can mm. be very good and supportive. And then family by blood that can be really toxic and you may need to step away from that situation. We're going to dive into both of those aspects. Speaking of sure. the plot of the episode, Ben, you've got 30 seconds to give us a recap. I don't recap. know why you constantly try to put I... this burden on me. It is your responsibility to ben, do this. The listeners know that you have the odd episodes. When you say and no, I, have the I think you even assume episodes. that they're keeping track because they know that you're supposed to be doing this. So you're telling me you're trying to pull a fast one over on the listeners. I would never. I'm 30 seconds on the clock, and away you. we go. Okay. So there's like, you know, they're in this. Okay, I started. Anyway, starting over. Okay, so the, no, you know, General Pyro is the like clock. grandson, and now we're tired, and now he's like, oh my god, General Pyro Zuko, but it's the voice of like Dante Pasco, which is really cool. Anyway, nothing uh, to do with homeless the plot. gruel. You know, Bolin's like yum. Asami spits it out. Mako and Korra connect, and Iro shows up. They fall into a trap. Hiroshi has airships, and then Korra has Ten beast seconds. water mode, and then the fleet is taken out. And then there's a second wave, and then Asami like, oh my god, we're gonna take out Dad, and then there's goodbyes between Mako and Bolin, and then it's really, you know, and then Tarlock, and then oh my god, the Stop. story of Yakun. <laughs> I almost got there. No, you did <laughs> the not. The most important the, stuff you in the made episode. It for Eleven just, minutes of that episode just gone. <laughs> well, Cameron's going to do thirty seconds to the back. It, it was really important <laughs> that I let people know that Dante Basco also voiced a character. I think that, that was, is important. But what uh, wasn't important? Thank you, Cameron. To me was the gruel <laughs> conversation. That was really important. I kind of disagree. out. Spits out that food that that was generously given to her. I mean, Pabu, Pabu is the only one that ate it. I mean, Bolin, Bolin. Well, he it. says it was good, and then he puts it, he's like, mm, mm, and he puts it down on the floor. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. The wonderful recap, Ben. And by wonderful, I mean it was <laughs> fine. Um, that was a great recap of half of the episode. <laughs> you had a whole minute to do it. It would have been great. <laughs> y'all, y'all are so good at making me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. All Family? Right. Family. Family. What's yeah. family? What is family? Oh, well, you asked that rhetorically, but I think you have an answer. So why don't you tell us? What I, so that when I was going through the definitions, you have pretty much the standard ones of like, you know, uh-huh. bloodline. And the one that I like that it kind of centers around that is all descendants of a common ancestor. And I like to think of ancestors not necessarily like a familial ancestor, but almost like a guiding principle. Um, and in that way, I think it kind of comes into more of this found family type of thing, because I think even in blood families, if there's a, if their guiding principle of love and belonging and these things are the same, then blood family can be that supportive family for you. But I don't, you don't want to discredit the importance of found family and what that truly means as well. And so I like thinking of ancestors, not necessarily like grandfather or grandmother, but almost like one like a cornerstone value i mean we talk a lot about this in our season three episode 11 with indira on the, the firebending fire masters, masters. Yeah. yeah i think we talked a lot about ancestral wisdom and legacy and family there so i think it's worth just if you want a deeper dive into that you can probably check there but for now what else what did episode we miss 13 13 excuse me what else did we miss in terms of what family is I think that 
uh, as a queer person, I really identify with the idea of chosen family in mm-hmm. that you can find your circle of people who you trust and respect and who you love and who love and support you, uh, that, that they can really become your familial safe place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that chosen family is important, especially for people who find it difficult to fit in and belong with their biological family. Mm -hmm. Right. And so anytime a person experiences difficulty belonging, what emerges is a need to have a place where you do belong. And so when you have the opportunity to choose who those people are, it makes it all the more valuable and it makes it just like that choice becomes inherently more precious. And so, yeah, I I think that, yeah. And that, that, that they chose you too. like, yeah, that That reciprocal love, that mutual love. Um, I think that's really important. And we definitely see that in the episode. We see a lot of chosen family happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, Um, right away we start off with the family dinner, the, uh, the like stew, uh, gruel kind of concoction in the tent community. All the best garbage in the which in the public I'll, city. I want to lift up uh, Gamu. I believe his name is um, from at, the first episode. From the very first episode, he has always had kind of this welcoming presence, um, and I think that he navigates this idea of it's. It ends up being more about classism than it almost does between like benders and non-benders mm-hmm. for him. He's mm-hmm. like, no, we are all struggling under this system together, and so like we're we're here together and we make it work and it's very harmonious and i think that it's for him it's he's always just kind of had that presence even from the first episode of mm-hmm. and hey, it's kind like, of welcome he <laughs> continues to fulfill that role of in the first episode he serves as a, a welcome to the audience and to cora to republic city and the ideas that like things aren't as great as they look and here he kind of continues to serve that function in a way that like it amon's equality may not really be equality for Mm -hmm. everybody well and that's something that's really important i think dive into that i don't think we've touched on this season before is just the idea of equality when distributed when you take it from one perspective equality of me giving out as a government for instance everyone's going to get the same thing what that denies is that people are in differing positions and therefore need different things, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do we distribute in a way that gets everybody to an equal result rather than giving out equally, right? And so that's, that's the difference between equity and equality. But at the same time, like what that forces us to confront is that we have to distribute unequally to land on an equal result right when it also allows us to if we're doing it the way that it should be done it allows us to understand and and identify the barriers that create that inequity in the first place theoretically theoretically right so like the we all i feel like most people have seen the the meme of the people trying to watch the sports game over the fence Mm -hmm. and it's the you know they're all different heights so we give them all different size boxes so they can all see versus removing the everybody gets barrier yeah and so i think that that's also part of that when we if we're getting into american politics this idea of like what are the needs that people have it's well we've identified that these are barriers that are in place that cause this need in the first place Mm -hmm. so here's how we should help them until we get rid of the barrier and that is causing this in the first place well and it's interesting to think about like aman's like 
target here. He is very much in the bending versus non-bending perspective. Mm -hmm. But what his his perspective fails to capture is this group that we see in this episode that's like we're we're both benders and non-benders and we're still struggling and it has nothing to do with bending it has to do with other things which would still be true in a mon society and i wonder how much of that comes from him being on the privileged side of the spectrum which he hopes to make equal exactly he is a bender but he wants to make things equal as far as bending versus non-bending and Which that... is why we have to lift up the voices of people mm-hmm. who are not privileged rather than trying to change things from a lens of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. We've said it before. He was never – There is there is a need for an equalist movement. He was never the person that needed to take up that mantle to do it, Yeah. Um, especially under the guise of all the things that he had going right. on in his I, life. I think it was the means to an end for him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, so – Gamu created a nice little family environment yeah. was what I wanted to, to lift up initially was yeah. it feels like he's doing his, his best uh, down in the caverns. Well, I'm curious for a distinction. What is the difference between cultivating a, a community versus cultivating a family? Like what's the difference between community and family? Because I think that they have a lot in common, but there's all there's there's nuance there, and I'm wondering what that difference is. I see that. I think in this particular situation, he created a community that was a safe space for the family we've been following as the audience, Team Avatar, to mm-hmm. hide, to to take refuge. Uh, I think the key distinction between a community and a family, uh, I think, at least in regards to the chosen family we're talking about here, again, is is that obligation. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but the obligation of, like, we're in a community and I'm going to support you versus the chosen family aspect of we are going to lean on each other because that's how our relationship is. Mm. I think what's emerging for me as I think about the difference is the level of intimacy that mm-hmm. you're willing to go into ver- in community versus in family. I feel like for, for me with family, I there is a greater sense of intimacy like than there is in even the best of communities, which can be very intimate, but I think that it's... We're saying uh, this in a sense of if families are the supportive environment that they're supposed to... Cor- correct. They can. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Exactly. In the, in, the, in the chosen family format for, for me, it, because I feel like, yeah, it's that sense of, of intimacy is, I think, a difference, a key thing for me. Yes. That was a better way of saying what I was trying to say. <laughs> I'm sure there are other you nuances. It's almost like the Brene like, Brown, like, who's on your one-inch sheet, right? The, uh, I know her. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned her before. <laughs> who's this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we've mentioned this practice before, but she has this one-inch sheet of paper that have the five names of people that she knows are her first kind of go-tos um, to challenge her, to support her, to be there, to push back on her, like all of these things. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's that that requires a level of intimacy that doesn't mean that other people in the community you don't care about or you wouldn't couldn't potentially get to that place but to have that type of level of intimacy feels more like family right and and it the community is kind of a better better, better external support system mm. whereas a family is more internal interesting 
Yeah, I, I'm. If if y'all are listening, and clearly y'all are listening, but for those of you who are <laughs> listening, uh, if you're I, not listening, if you want to help in. us, like clarify, you haven't turned the volume down. But <laughs> yeah. our, one of our few fans that just love giving us the play count, but don't actually care about the content. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, if if you don't mind, I I if you have an idea or perspective on what family is and maybe the difference between family and community, I'd love to to hear another perspective just cuz I don't I don't think we've quite got it yet, but I also want to move on to other cool things that are in this episode. Mm-hmm. So send something in, let us know voicemail under two uh, minutes. call in. We're standing by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. And cell phone number is <laughs> Uh, no, no. I, while I appreciate you all, you can find me on, you know, BNB underscore pod. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Okay. 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 So you have a moment. You yeah. Actually go? talking okay. about chosen family, uh, Pabu and Naga pets oh. role in a family. It stood out Ooh, to me, uh, in the first time. half of this episode, uh, Naga, oh, Pabu in that he covers for Bolin by eating the food that Bolin does not want to eat. <laughs> Uh, after Bolin kind of was like, yes, it's great here. Yeah. Uh, and then Naga loves Korra so much that usually you see a lot of like pets don't want to be separated from Mm. their person. And, and, but in this one, Naga seems to grasp that Korra needs her to do this mission with Bolin and Asami and just potentially sees them as family as well at this point. Right. By this point. Yeah. I, I think that pets are really cool important yeah right and I, and I think that there's there's a lot that pets teach us and a lot that pets give us but it's interesting because not, i mean not everybody's a pet person but for those of you who, who are pet people uh I, I wonder when we have like my my dog has been a pretty integral piece for me during the uh, during the pandemic and mm. the reason is i've had so little physical contact that like we like humans i don't know if you all we are biologically wired for physical contact um and so for for me i have been saying that is not his love language <laughs> physical touch is not his love language yeah, but it mm, doesn't have to be just your love language but in general like physical contact importante anyway that's beside the point moral of the story is I haven't been getting a lot of physical contact and so like how do i get that i get it through my dog and so i i found myself it, like after a month or two of pandemic time, it was like, okay, I wake up in the morning and then I would be able to like go and just like hug my dog and just like literally just like yes. cuddle just there, just like get the, get the cuddles in. And then before bed, I'm like, okay, it's been a long day. I'm just going to go hug the dog <laughs> and just let that sink in. And I think that's just been a really important um, tool for me and to, for, you know, not a familial term, but a tool for me right. to, get through this feeling of isolation right and i just i wonder like how much of that is just in my head but also how much of that is just a relationship that exists um but yeah pets are important well and have you ever heard the kind of work that's been done that says when you the grief level of losing a pet is the equivalent to the grief level of losing a family member. Mm. Um, and so, like, you build relationships, even though they are nonverbal relationships, you build these relationships with pets over time. And I recently saw a TikTok that didn't cite any sources, 
y'all. However, welcome, welcome <laughs> to TikTok, man. <laughs> what they said was essentially, and I and I tried to look up look this up, but I couldn't find any corroborating evidence. They didn't they didn't cite an academic journal. No, not one. But I'm interested. Wait till you get to maskless TikTok, Ben. <laughs> L- listeners, <laughs> I'm new to TikTok, y'all. This is new for me. But I, I'm I'm cr- very genuinely interested in this. So if you know where it is, listeners, send us the link. But there's a, a an idea that we grieve over our the fictional characters that we grow attached to and our brain doesn't know the difference between our imagined slash the fictional characters that we grow in like relationship with versus our actual people i feel that spiritually i have watched right no i lot. that's like i feel it on a certain level i consume a lot of media and I like when a TV show ends, when when a when I lose a character in a show that I like or a film that I'm invested in, yeah. I will feel that loss and I will weep openly. It's uh, like the death of a friend when you finish. A no good spoilers, book. but the latest episode of Wandavision had me weeping <laughs> <Yeah>. openly. <laughs> Again, fictional character. And I wonder if that's because I I also will will openly cry at movies and television, and I typically equate that to I. Uh, understand that feeling or i can imagine how hard that would be to go through Mm -hmm. um so and i will do spoilers because i just wrapped up season seven of star wars clone wars because i'm doing like all the all the canon stuff this year is my goal spoiler alert so good so if you have not watched season seven of clone wars and you want to jump ahead of 30 seconds i haven't haven't watched it are you gonna though fair fair warning oh it's it's dave filoni he wrote on avatar it's so good um but there's the moment where Sokka and Rex have their whole final arc. Ahsoka, sorry. Sokka, different person. <laughs> Ahsoka and Rex have their whole final arc, and he has to kill all of his clone brothers. And he, she pulls off his helmet, and he's, like, weeping. And mm-hmm. I was a mess. And most of them are characters we also know. They've Correct. been consistent throughout the show. Ugh. It hits so hard. And so part of that, I feel like, was not the, oh, these characters are dead. Part of, I mean, part of it was, but I think a lot of it was like, could you imagine growing up with all these people who then turned on you and for the safety of someone else you had to take out? Like, I, uh, how? Well, how? I, and I think yeah. that's really, and we've talked, we started with Naga and Pabu and got to this, but I, I, <laughs> I start thinking about how these characters. Rex is like the Naga of the Clone Wars. You could say. <laughs> no, it's, I'm going to connect it back. I got it. I got the connection. But like for me, Having spent so much time with Aang and the gang, having spent so much time with Korra and Team Avatar, and having spent so much time in the comics and like really investing and reinvesting and rewatching, like the relationship continues to build. And so every time we find out a new perspective on one of these scenes, I'm like, oh, I never saw it that way. Or and again, as we go through Korra doing it the way that we're doing it, it's like these these moments have so much like gravity for for lack of a better word on my emotional response right and so it 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 really feels true that i have a (laughs) it feels real the very first time it feels familial that i watched cora break down and admit that she was scared to tenzin in the season it didn't hit me that hard i was like yeah i get it and then like the more and more you watch the more and more you build it like now i cannot get through that episode with just without a tear without at least a tear well, like and how much does that down. tell us like and so i think that's beautiful like let, let's let's think about this because the first time we watch th- these people are acquaintances we see a, an acquaintance fall down and admit defeat we're like ooh, that's that sucks ooh. but when we start to see our family 
go through that. Yeah. We have a physical response as well, right? And one of the things that I think is scientifically proven is that when we Psych- have, been, when we have the, ex- like the experience of grief or sadness in a loved one, we experience that as pain as well. So neurobiologically, we experience that pain the same if we are watching someone that we love in pain. And so that's something that I find to be true here as well, yeah. right? It's just like, ugh. Like when Momo sits down in office paw print. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Wow, you just there. had to go there and, like, knife twist. I just wanted everyone <laughs> to feel the feels. I would right like now. to get to our next bullet point. <laughs> Moral of the story, like, all of these people are a family. So, yes, pets. <laughs> pets definitely qualify as family. There it is. We brought it back. Yeah. I'm <laughs> good at segues. Okay, I have a moment. I have a, I have a moment. Mm. Really, right in the very beginning, Cora's talking to Mako. And it's like, we should just, just go knock their heads in. Right? Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it's very similar to that. And it's, I feel like for me, when I'm with family, a lot of the times I am more equipped and better able to say things that I would never say in in front of other people because <laughs> my, my filter comes off mm-hmm. when I'm with my family and or chosen family, right? Right. Um, because what happens is I know that I'm going to be, like, I'm not going to be judged, you know, to the detriment of me being kicked out of this family mm-hmm. for saying what I'm going to say. And it's not that I'm consciously thinking that. It's that, oh, my filter just naturally starts to disappear right. when I'm with... It's not like I'm going to take my filter off and start saying things. It's my filter goes away. It's the safety built among that group of people. Exactly. Over a period of time. And so I wonder if we can reframe what Cora said there. It's like I wonder if Cora actually wants to just go beat their heads in. Or if she's just saying that among like, I think family. what we what we know about Cora so far is she's a woman of action. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> she is a woman of action, and uh, she would much rather be doing something yeah. than waiting. She she's not. It's interesting how you talk about like Ang had to learn neutral jing, mm-hmm. and Cora seemingly has no neutral jing. <laughs> No, no, but she does not. We know that she's mastered the physical art of earthbending. So that's what's interesting. I wonder what the relationship might be there between how she can be such a uh, physically proficient earthbender without n- the spiritual sides necessarily of waiting and knowing when to strike. When it's, I feel like we always get her like really crappy first draft, but she's very vocal about her first draft every time. <laughs> but I also feel like she's good. I feel like this. I don't have any data that is concrete that I can point to in the, in the episodes. That when someone like challenges her and she knows she's wrong, I don't think she typically doubles down on being like for the yeah. sake of being right. I feel like Cora does have a good job of being like, mm. yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when it when it matters, I think you're right. I do think like over like dumb relationship stuff she'll be like no 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 i'm i'm right you no kissed you me? kissed yeah. me <laughs> exactly Ugh, yikes okay all right what else what else family 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 you haven't even got to like the, the fam- family the, the part family. <laughs> yeah we've just been focused the on sopranos the... and by of, that of I, and by that i mean mako and bolin right so here we go mako and bolin brothers beautiful beautiful relationship they have their ups and their downs, but one of the moments in this episode that I found really touching was that this moment of goodbye that I just, I love it when we see men cry. I love it. Yep. And, and Bolin is just, 
is very in touch with his emotions. Is, is Bolin not perfect in every way? I like, adore he Bolin. He's not perfect in every way. Almost perfect in every way. Nope. I love him. Let's get to season two, Bolin, and, and we'll start. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, but we're not, we're not there yet. <laughs> we have to approach this yet. like the show was done, which is one <laughs> season at a time. There are some things that I would like to talk about Bolin with regarding his behavior. We're not there yet. <laughs> Anyway, moral of the story is I just I really love this moment. I think it's really touching, and I think we need more of it in media. Thank you. I agree. Uh, so you should watch Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> should uh, as as we continue, uh, you know, Cora and Mako are on their solo mission to uh, mm-hmm. try and find uh, track down Amon, and they hide in the attic on Air Temple Island, and they see. Councilman Tarlock. D. Bradley. Didn't y'all hear that in my recap? I said it really well. I like... missed that, actually. <laughs> you know who voices Tarlock? Must have sneezed. You just was said it. it. D. Bradley. D. Bradley, who, D. Bradley who else he, he voices all the clones in Clone Wars, Ben. He does. You should watch the show. That was a really good Tamara Morrison. It's a really good Tamara Morrison impression. Oh, he's so good. Uh, D. Bradley is great. And uh, like, not known for doing character voices known for doing animal voices but it's so underrated his naga right he's appa he's momo but like he's so good as just a normal voice actor also for people and he gives a really good performance this episode i uh he gets into he he gives us the big reveal that he is amon's brother Mm. just in case you you know if you like me missed that in ben's recap just i i nailed it y'all i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) Uh, so this, then, then we get the flashback that really kind of hits home why I wanted to talk about family this episode. Uh, you see that Yacon, uh, undergoes plastic surgery, which now exists in the world of Avatar, uh, to change his appearance. And he goes to the water tribe and tries to settle down and have a family and everything seems to be going okay. Until. (laughs) Until they have two sons that end up being waterbenders. And I wonder, what I wanted to talk about with you guys is, do you think, I wonder about, I wonder about Yacon's motivations. Was he ever really going to move on? And it just like, once the two boys were waterbenders, he was like, ooh, I have a chance for revenge. Or do you think he was only ever like trying to uh, have offspring to try and get revenge? Interesting. I'm going to assume that he wanted an actual family and then saw opportunity and took it. Yeah, that's my gut. Right, kind of succumbed too. to his his uh, his weakness of wanting that that vengeance. Also, headcanon: Did Yukon go see the mother of faces? If and only hang out, hang out with Zuko's mother for a little bit. If only they'd introduce that. Gosh, she's. <laughs> Also, awesome. spoiler alert for the comics: you should read them. When people when people great. didn't know that that popped up in the comics, Ben, until now. Anyway, uh, so they would have just forgot; it would have fluttered away. But yeah, I, th- I think that you can. I I, I seize an opportunity. One of the things that we've talked about earlier in the in the season is just this idea of we talked about like competition a little bit, and one of the things that emerges in that conversation is this idea that when you talk yourself into losing sometimes because Mm -hmm. based off of your mental frame. And I think he was in a mental frame of like, I'm done. There's nothing I can do. I just need to move on. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as the opportunity shows up, all of a sudden you have this whole new paradigm. And I don't think he had the imagination 
ahead of time to be like, oh, I'm going to have two kids that are going to be my tools for revenge. <laughs> like, I'm, like right. the generous assumption is that I, I, I think he generally wanted me to on until this opportunity arose. Right. Um, but I mean, he's kind of like got a really bad rap going for him. So I, like if, if it turned out to be that I was wrong, I would be like, no, oh, that sucks. But so it goes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, uh, we get a kind of, uh, tease of the family dynamic where as soon as before the boys were waterbenders, uh, Tarlock says everything was good. Every, that was, that time was really happy in my life. And then once the bending is revealed, uh, Yakon starts taking them on hunting trips to train them in, in bloodbending. And you see Noah Tonk, who is Amon, already stepping up and protecting Tarlock from dad a little bit. To, and so you see that he does care about equality in more ways than one. And Typical it kind of, of shows, first children. shows that he may... Uh, have gotten lost a little bit to where he is now. So I have a theory and I want to lift it up and I want to see what y'all's response is. So when I watched this with this lens, I immediately was like, okay, this is like, we're about to watch full on trauma develop here. And um, one of the things that I, I kind of thought about was this idea that Yacon is grooming his children for abuse and there are red flags for grooming and we see several of them right and so like secrets rule breaking inappropriate communication meaning like communication outside of when you're supposed to communicate like alone time all of these things are signs and red flags of grooming and grooming for for people that are listening is a how would y'all help me help me frame that? Uh, it's a little content uh, warning. Yeah, but it typically goes around child sexual abuse. Correct. Um, and so this parenting style that he has is very, very, very similar to the to the grooming uh, system, which starts with targeting, scouting ideal characteristics. He's like, oh, I have kids. Oh, they have water bending, mm-hmm. gaining trust. He takes them on like just bending, and then he teaches them about blood right. bending which is a secret <clears throat> and then there's like i'm gonna fill this need and then he starts to force isolation and take them on these hunting trips and then he maintains control and these are all the steps of of grooming right and yeah. leading to abuse and what we need to label this parenting style as is abuse it is right this and- is a traumatic traumatic experience well, if that visual wasn't enough you see the same visual happening in the way that the wolves are treated right like the exactly. way the way that they bloodbend the wolves is exactly mm-hmm. how he is trying to parent yes um and it's i still can't get over the sound effect used like by the, the foley artists for, and, like for, the... and the like weird like bag of liquid uh sound effect for yeah. bloodbending it's, it's rough. rough yeah but like this is I, I think one of the things i've been hearing recently and not from our listeners but in general is that like the word trauma is being ugh, we're throwing that around too much and mm. my opinion is that we're not throwing it around enough like trauma is happening like right. yes and we need to call it trauma we need to be calling it trauma. trauma exactly and this is this episode is a case study <laughs> in it family really trauma is. Right? it really is and it's just it's 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 terrifying to think about what family can do when it misuses 
the familial relationship. Right. right? And, and they do their best to kind of spell it out for us, even people who, you know, may not be familiar with grooming or, tra- or trauma specifically. They, you know, hit the nail on the head with animal cruelty. Yeah. And they like... flat out, you know, they explicitly say that Katara made bloodbending illegal yep. as soon as the team avatar took power took i don't know took power sounds wrong that's yeah. not something Ooh. team avatar would do uh but the katara power with right yeah. <laughs> hopefully <laughs> katara made bloodbending illegal so it hits home that like no 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 he's a criminal he's doing bad things this is not a yeah good person but one of the things he says here i think it's said in family context all the time and it's this idea of like you need to live up to the family name. You need to like nope. You need I'm to out. make me proud. And that is language that I've. It's grooming I, language. It's it, yeah. It's I struggle with it heavily. You know I've because I've heard it before, and not in a sense of abuse from my parents and stuff. But there has been this like you need to like live up to the name, and you kind of go like, okay, why? Like, <laughs> what, like, what? and then how, like, how prestigious do you think our name and, really is? Right. <laughs> right? Like, and not just live up to it, but live up to it that way, right. their way, the way that they would like you to live up to it. And so that's one of those things that how do we start to challenge family in those moments, our non-chosen family, but even our chosen family when we, when sometimes we feel like well, what boundaries are being I, crossed because we, don't... uh, Tarlock is young and tries to like poor Tarlock. No, I'm not gonna bloodbend my brother. Yeah, but right. like he was, he was about to get the full physical force of Yakone because of that. Had Noatuck not stepped in, right? Uh, he says that felt awful. I don't want to make anyone feel that way. And there, and there's two things that are worth lifting up there. I don't, I want to be careful and make sure that we aren't romanticizing chosen family. Like the way this episode has been framed so far has been like chosen family good, normal family bad. And right. I shouldn't say normal family. Biological family, bad. And that's not true, right? It's not necessarily true. However, sometimes it is true. And I think it's worth lifting up that it can go both ways. Your chosen family can betray you just as much as absolutely your biological family. And your biological family can be just as loving and caring and accepting and nurturing as your chosen family. Right? In this case, not so much. Right. Um, Very specifically, this story being told. Yeah. When also, it's not a binary, right? It doesn't exactly. mean that you have to have one or the other. Because I, you know... Very much have both. Is, you can very much me. have both. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you can have parts of your chosen family that are stronger than your biological family when it comes yep. to support system. Not necessarily because of the love that is there, but because of things like proximity, right? Like... I'm more Especially likely to like, now. yeah, like yeah. I'm more likely to call a member of my chosen family to help me if my car breaks down. Like that is a more like that's just going to happen because my parents are three hours away, right? Yep. Like that's a thing. Um, and so I, I think there's it's not it's not it's all on a spectrum, right? It's not this yes. binary of like you either have a chosen family or your biological, like family. so many things, <laughs> not yes. a binary <laughs> spectrum. Right. And the second thing I want to touch on about this scene is that we should never have to rely on the children to make the moral ethical decision <laughs> for us. And in this case, when, when Tarlock is saying this, it is just like, that is gut wrenching for me because it's like, we should never put children in a position where they have to make that decision. Period. <laughs> Drop mic. Is it possible that Tarlock thought he was making, not Tarlock, Yukon thought he was making the moral decision. That's the problem, right? Yeah. Is when we are like, sure, right? But when we are in a position 
one of the things I'm learning, and I'm taking an ethics course right now, one of the things I'm learning is that ethics needs to be, it's never should be in a vacuum. It's never decided by one person. And we need to make sure that ethics is grounded in community rather than grounded in the narrative of one because what happens is when it's grounded in the narrative of one often it's grounded in the narrative of the powerful right but even when it's grounded in the narrative of someone who is oppressed that is still not the only ethic we should be relying on we need it needs to be informed by everyone and the voices of the oppressed need to be heavily valued but i think we still need everyone's voice when we're creating an ethic to live by right so i i, I really struggle I struggle with this. I think... Go ahead. You got it. All right. Well, okay. Yep. Centrism is where my head was going with this because <laughs> it's this idea of... It's this idea of that right that right there is this, well, we got to have every voice, which is true, but also being ready to say, but if you say these things, you are automatically omitted from being a part of this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. You right? do not like, have the quite the, quite the least, moral compass. My least your voice favorite, has been I, like, voted off the island. <laughs> this understanding of centrism where it's like American, American leftism versus like far right conservatism. It's like everyone should have health care. I don't believe that certain groups of people should be able to own land or exist. And then people in the center being like, these are both the same to me. On the, on <laughs> They're the equally bad. These are equally bad. And you're like, mm. so I also want to like, there's, I think that's because there's also that kind of construction when we have these things about morals and ethics. Is well, like, it's to control the outliers is why you have community, right? It's to control both of those extremes, which is why it must be held in dialogue, not held in any individual vacuum. Mm -hmm. I see that. That was yeah. That was my point. I think okay. this episode does appreciate the trauma in the story it's telling. Uh, in the, I mean, you see throughout the season, you've seen what's happened to Tarlock and what kind of person he's become. But you also see in this episode. I mean, Tarlock talks about it. He's like, it wasn't any easier on Noah Talk being the favorite one, and he yeah. suddenly. Tarlock says suddenly, but I think this was over a period. Oh, he becomes oh. cold and detached and just not the same kid that he was. Yeah. And you see, I mean, clearly this episode does understand Noah talk is going through some trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the other thing that Tarlock does not to necessarily romanticize Tarlock throughout this series. Um, it seems like he has a better understanding of this does not excuse my actions in life. Mm -hmm. This might explain them, but Right. Uh, you should still leave me here, right? Like, for multiple reasons, you should still leave me inside of this cage. Yep. Um, and I think that's the thing that people sometimes struggle with is this idea of empathy and accountability. And I think we've said on this show several times, you get to have both. Like, you can have empathy for a person's decisions and why they made a decision a certain way. That doesn't mean they're free from the consequences of that decision. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I kind of appreciate Tarlock he i think at this point he's he's broken he sees everything he has apologized he's had a Cora. reckoning right it's a um, reckoning the rumble the revolution exactly he's lost his privilege it's a Brene brown reference um who and and so i think that that part part of that is it's it's good to kind of see that also lifted up of this idea of like we understand noah tuck we have a better understanding. We do. That does mm -hmm. not mean that he is free from consequences for all the actions that he is taking. Very Absolutely. violent actions at this point. Correct. Any other big moments of family that we want to touch on, on the, in the episode? What have we missed? Anything? 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 
Anything? The only thing I can think of is just this understanding of what we inherit from our parents and what we take with us as we move forward and, and being in just constantly thinking through that. And we've, we've talked about this when we've talked about legacy and we've talked about mm-hmm. inheritance before this season. So um, I think it's just worth highlighting again of we have to constantly be checking our own biases and things as we go through life to say, what are the things that I like that I've learned and inherited from my family? And yeah. then what are the things that I very much need to leave to the side and the things and i think it's important to lift up that sometimes things that are not great can help us and so sometimes we we get into this mode of uh having a defense mechanism that is exactly that it's a defense mechanism it's protecting us from something when in the long term it maybe ceases to help us and so how do we grapple with this idea that something that we may have done to protect ourselves from the abuse of a family member in the past may have helped us then but we need to acknowledge it say thank you for helping me when you did i no longer am in need of this service and then letting it go right and that's some of the things that's really difficult with some of the things we inherit from our family is like i have inherited lots of defense mechanisms i have inherited lots of ways of interacting with people that were built to to protect me right and i need to be able to cognitively recognize that yes those things served me and kept me safe at that time i mm-hmm. no longer am in need of this habit and i need to let it go mm. That's what therapy's for. <laughs> We're all on board with therapy here. Let's, let's do it. Full, full endorsement. Yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. All right. Anything else? Or are we ready to take a quick break and jump into our devotion, devotion. and gratitude? Uh, not at this time. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. We'll be right back. Sorry. Somebody had to say it. Max, <laughs> Max doesn't have a mic. It's time for our devotion, and this week we are very, very excited to talk about fire and what fire has to offer in terms of thinking about family, which I think, you know, of hearth and home, there's a lot of cool things you can talk about with fire and family. So, oh, that's also alliterative. I didn't even think about that. Anyway, we're back, and Cameron's still with us, and who wants to talk about family and fire first and a goal that they're setting, an intention they're setting for this coming week? On your mark, get set. <gasps> I'm, making, I'm happy to go. They're making yeah. eyes. They're making eyes. Okay, sunshine's gone. Go, 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 the go, go. pet conversation really struck home. I don't do the best job of walking my dog and spending time with my dog during the work week as I should because of, like, we go on walks. They just typically aren't very long ones. And so um, I would like to focus on my pet care this upcoming week because Rufio brings a lot of warmth into my into my home. And uh, if you don't know, I just learned that pet's Rufio name and I love is it. based off Sunshine. You want to tell us? Like, how did they, well, how did you, so how did you name your it, dog? Two, twofold. Dante it's Ru- Basco. It's Dante, Rufio from Hook, played by Dante played? Basco. Oh, oh. Um, but also, Rufio was an old camp legend of uh, the summer camp that we used to look, uh, work at, which I believe the legend probably also started via Hook. <laughs> um, so, so it's all rooted in so Dante it's all Basco. Rooted in Dante Basco. So yes, yeah. everything my, comes back to Dante Basco, uh, right? It's all roads lead to. Yeah. 
It's uh, my little gray Labrador, if you ask my landlord. He's certainly not a pit bull. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my, my little gray Labrador, in case my landlord uh, listens to this podcast, um, Rufio. So I'm going to spend my time with him. Love it. Love it. I love that intention. Cameron! What struck me uh, when talking about fire, fire consumes. It will just consume and consume and consume. And that, for me, obviously we just finished you know, mm. talking about Yacon and how vengeance consumed him and ended up destroying his second chance at, at his family. Mm. Um, and what that calls me to do is I... Uh, in this, in this, uh, not quarantine because America has not been quarantining, but uh, <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> uh, in this, mm, I like to call it capitalism light. Yeah, in, the, in this, in this diet lockdown. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> oh, I, I hate how true that is. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Um, in this diet lockdown, I have been spending a lot of time with my fiance, who I love and adore. In case he listens to this podcast, <laughs> just just in case but if he doesn't, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I I love my fiance, but we've been spending a lot more time around each other with working from home mm. and just being in the same place so often. And what that's done is taught us both a lot about each other um, in in good ways. And, but it can be trying. It can be trying to be that close to anybody for so long with, with no you time. And what this is calling me to do is to not let these little things that do not matter consume <laughs> me to the point that I like ruin, I make a fight out of nothing or like, the, so that's what I'm going to work on this week. I love that. I, it's interesting you talk about consumption because that's a similar vein to what I was thinking about. I was thinking about how like, if the, if, I think about the relationship between two people as a fire, right? As metaphor for fire, right? And if I think about the the family na- nature of that, what what that means is there are going to be sometimes when I'm feeding off the warmth of a fire and I need the other person to keep fueling it. And then there are times when I need to pour fuel on the fire to make sure that it's a reciprocal mutual relationship, right? And how do I not continuously take from some and and like only give in others and recognize when I can bask in the warmth where we're both throwing on logs at the same time. Right. That's when it feels truly in, in balance, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so I I really want to focus on the relationships that I'm in. And when I am giving a lot, it's, it's not that that's a bad thing. It's that I need to just assess whether that's where I want to be. Right. Because I just need to to focus on that. So my, my goal this week is to kind of just look at those relationships that I, who are the the family in my life chosen or otherwise, where I just want to assess that relationship and be like, is this the amount of giving and receiving that I want in this relationship? And so that's, that's my goal is just assess um, and then figure out what I want to do from there. Love that. Yeah, I do. I, I think that's a good, good idea. Well, y'all, everyone, super thankful for your sharing, but now it's time for us to get to our other gratitude that we're going to give, and that's our gratitude for our characters. I'm so grateful. From this episode, so who would like to go first? Grateful for gratitude. I, thing. I'll go first. Uh, Love it. As uh, as is the norm for me uh, in most episodes, I am grateful for Bolin because I <laughs> who isn't grateful for Bolin I all the time. Adore Bolin. Uh, I think normalize emotional men. 
mm. first of all. Uh, but in this episode in particular, expanding on that, and, and Ben, you kind of touched on this, just the, the relationship between he and his brother in the goodbye scene and the fact that, you know, we're allowing men, uh, particularly as far as I can, uh, as far as I know, cisgender straight men in mm. this series to be so openly emotional. Mm. That's what I was grateful for this week. Mm. I'm grateful for that too, but that's not who I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm picking Yukon's wife who we unfortunately do not learn her name in the episode, uh, nor if you do any research, is there a name for her? Um, at least that we found. The Avatar Wiki failed us. I know. <laughs> There's no canon name Correct. for this character. Uh, we will be accepting on our Patreon page, Facebook, if you have any uh, names that you would like to submit for canon. Um, anyway, that's... We're, kind of... we're in control of that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the reason I'm grateful for Yukon's wife is she was in a relationship with a convicted man uh, who has done pretty atrocious things. And as far as we know, that relationship wasn't bad. Um, it seemed to be pretty pure. Yeah, until... exactly. And it seemed like that, quote, impurity was, was with Yukon and his children, their children, I should say. And... To her, she only had like just a small side of that. And so I'm grateful that she was loving and kind to this person. And I'm grateful that Yacon got a relationship that was hopefully able to teach him something about what it is good to, to be in relationship. And I am grateful that she was that person. I am sad that she had to experience so much grief and trauma on due to his actions, but mm -hmm. I'm grateful that she was hopefully a guiding light for him and potentially one of the few. So I'm grateful for that. I'm going to be grateful for Gamu from the, from the beginning of the episode. I just, I appreciate the welcomingness. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those are words. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, I just appreciate the environment that he creates and builds uh, for everyone who is there struggling. And I think that he takes up a very important role in that process. And mm -hmm. I'm grateful that he was there. I love it. I love it. Well, y'all, this has been fun. This has been a good episode. I think Cameron, welcome Truly. back. Thank yeah. you for being back. Thank you so much for having me. You guys, we yeah. know that season two is your favorite. So we'll have to find an episode, maybe one involving I... Juan and, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer, I do like Legend of Korra. I am not a hater. I appreciate Korra and the misogyny that is rampant in the fandom just grates on me. Uh, I love and... Korra. I'll talk about it anytime. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we'd love to have you back. Max, thank you so much. I know you can't speak with us right now, but thank you for all that you do. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. And you can follow us at BNB underscore pod on Facebook, <laughs> they not know Twitter, Instagram, point? you know, all the places, Patreon. We do a lot of cool you stuff. You messed up the recap. I messed up the outro. We're even. <laughs> and this has been Ben. <laughs> this is Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.